Lord, this part of the Bible, some of it is familiar and some of it is very, very strange. And yet you have given it to us to give us a glimpse into the future and what the future holds for your world and for your people. And so tonight, Lord, help us to open up our minds to to understand and our eyes to believe with faith what you say to us tonight through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We all dream, don't we, of living in a perfect world? And I asked you that question earlier. For you, you know, what would make the world that you live in perfect? What were the things that were really going on whenever I asked that? Maybe tonight you're here and, and you just dream of a world where relationships were not as difficult as they are. A world where people can just get on somehow. Maybe for you, it's a world where you actually experience love. Maybe you're here tonight and and you find the world a difficult place because you just don't have that experience of love in your life. And for you, a perfect world is one where there is love and you experience it. For some of you, maybe you've got big problems going on just now. Things that you cannot fix, things that you cannot change, things that you so desperately wish would just go away. And for you, the perfect world is the world that doesn't have those things in it. We all dream of this perfect world. But really for us, it it is just often a dream because we know that we cannot create a perfect world. We know that from this moment on, right to the moment when we breathe our last and final breath, we know that we will always live in a broken world where things are not right, where things could always be better. That's the reality we live in. We live in this broken world and and the perfect world is just a dream. But tonight, what is wonderful, what's absolutely amazing is that God gives us a glimpse into the future. In Revelation chapter 21 and 22, it's like God is pulling back the curtain and saying, look what's coming in the future. Look what's coming. And what we see in Revelation 21 and 22 is that the idea of a perfect world is not actually a dream, but it is a reality that will one day come. The Christians who John is writing to primarily are in the middle of being persecuted. Uh, Persecution has gone from kind of verbal abuse at this stage into physical abuse. The the, the Roman Empire are now really crashing down hard on Christians. And the Christians who John is writing to, they're finding life extremely difficult, extremely painful. Not only are they dealing with the things that we'd be dealing with, cancer, sickness, broken relationships, death. Not only are they dealing with that, but they're dealing with severe persecution for their faith. And the whole point of Revelation is to encourage them to keep going, to keep trusting God, to keep following Christ. That's the whole thrust of the book. And as John comes to the end of the book, the the final part of the revelation that Jesus gives him, he pulls back the curtain and he says, keep going, friends. Because although this world that you're living in now is painful and difficult, full of sorrow, keep going, my friends, because look, just look what's coming. A new and perfect world. 
We see this right at the beginning of the passage that we read. If you have a look with me at the passage, you'll see there what it says. It says that John saw a new heavens and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now, it's not that this earth is going to be kind of filled with dynamite and and blown up into smithereens. That's not the picture here. It's that the way this earth is just now, with all its brokenness and all its damage and all the things that make it terrible, it's this idea that that is all gone. That the earth is made new, that it's renewed, that it's made into this perfect world where people can now live and enjoy life as it really was meant to be. That's the picture that we get in this passage. And the first thing you'll notice is that you'll notice that this new earth, this new earth is described as a city. Do you notice that in the passage there? It's described as a city. You see that it's a city coming down from heaven. And this is a a lovely picture of a city because the people that John was writing to, most of them lived in cities. We live in Belfast City. We're used to living in cities. And so John says that this new earth, it's kind of going to be like one big global city. Lots of buzz, lots of things going on, lots of people. It's going to be this wonderful city. But that might have been a bit surprising for the first readers of this letter because cities in the Bible, they don't often get a good reputation. In fact, very often in the Bible, people go to cities to get away from God or to live in immorality. Did you know that New York City was actually founded as a city as a city without God? It was actually founded as a city where people could go to get away from religion and to get away from God. In fact, did you know that after New York City was founded, it was over 15 years before there was a church there? In the Bible, that's what we see. Cities are often these places where people go to run away from God. But in Revelation, we see this holy city coming down. This different type of city, this beautiful city, this wonderful city, this perfect city. And if you notice, the city comes down from heaven. Did you notice that? It's not that we make this city up ourselves. It's not that we make this world perfect. It's that at the end of time, when Christ returns, God is going to set a city down in this earth this new and wonderful city. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, a kind of prefabricated house being moved or put into place, but it's really amazing. This whole house is completely built and it's lifted up by a big crane and it's kind of set into the foundations that have been built. And this is the type of picture we get in Revelation. Out of heaven down to earth is going to be this wonderful, new, glorious, beautiful city. And if you have a look at the the, the bottom right of your sheet there, you you can see the connection to the Garden of Eden. Eden in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 was created. And in it we saw lots of beautiful things. And and we see some parallels in this new city that's coming at the end of the Bible. In Genesis 2, we see that there's a tree of life. And again, in Revelation 22, you can see that there's a tree of life there. In Genesis 3, you see that God is very present. And again, in Revelation 22, we see that we're now going to see God's face in this city. In Genesis 1, we see that we're made in God's image to rule over his creation. And again, in Revelation 22, we see that we're going to have jobs to do in this new creation. We're going to reign as God's servants. In Genesis 1, we see that God created the sun to give light. 
And then in Revelation 22, we see that light comes directly from God. It's kind of like Eden, but better. That's what we see at the end of the Bible. It's this wonderful story that starts with creation, this perfect creation, and it ends with this perfect recreation, this wonderful, beautiful city coming out of heaven. But what we're going to see is that, that what makes this city really perfect is that there are six things that are missing from it. And it's not mashed potato, and it's not Tottenham Hotspur, and it's not even church house. So what are the things that are missing from this city? What are the things that God gets rid of in this city, in this new earth, that make it perfect? Well, the first one appears to be the sea. A little bit strange, but have a look at verse 1 of chapter 21. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now, if you're a sailor here tonight, or you're someone who likes to go out on boats, I mean, that doesn't sound like your perfect world, doesn't it? No sea. Well, what I don't think this passage is saying, is I don't think it's saying that there's actually going to be no sea. I don't think it's saying there's going to be no body of water. Remember, Revelation, it's picture language. It's symbolic. It's not all literal. And what you need to know is that in the Bible and in the ancient world, the sea represented chaos. People looked at the sea, and they looked at it, and they saw waves that they couldn't control. They looked at the sea, and they heard of sailors and boats being taken underwater and people drowning and without being able to do anything about it. The sea was this unruly chaos. There was nothing could be done to tame the sea. It was this frightening place. And there's other apocalyptic writings that aren't in the Bible that often describe the sea as this area, this realm of chaos. And folks, this is one of the things that is going to make this new earth so wonderful. All the chaos is going to be gone. Imagine a world where there are no more tsunamis, no more hurricanes, no more earthquakes, no more volcanoes spewing out lava and destroying homes and people. Imagine a world with no more car accidents, with no more murders, with no more accidents at work that injure and maim and kill. Imagine a world where all the chaos all the calamity is gone. That's what's going to be like in this new city that takes over the world. All the chaos gone. Maybe you're sitting here tonight and you would describe your life right now as completely and utterly chaotic. Maybe you're sitting here tonight and there are just things going on that you've no control over and they're causing you deep hurt and deep problems. Or maybe there's been a period of chaos in your life. Maybe some chaotic things have happened and they have left scars upon you. Well, friend, the great news is that in this new world, all of that chaos will be gone. All those chaotic things will be no more. 
And that then leads us on to the second thing that will be gone. And I guess it leads on to it because (laughs) the chaos causes death and pain and crying and mourning. And the second thing we see that is gone is tears and death and mourning and crying and pain. Have a look with me at verse 4. It says that he, that's God, will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. You know, we live in a world and it is so technologically advanced. It's amazing. We can do things with technology that were only dreams 30 or 40 years ago. We are so technologically advanced. Society has advanced so much and yet the reality is that technology or science or all of the wonderful things that we've invented, they can't save us from tears. They can't save us from pain. They can't save us from mourning. They can't save us from death. It doesn't matter who you are tonight. It doesn't matter if you are the richest man on the planet or the poorest man on the planet or someone in between. Our lives are always touched by pain and heartache and tragedy and mourning and death and crying. And it's hard. And it's painful. But yet look at the picture that God gives us when he, when he pulls the curtain away. He says, look at what's coming. In this new world, all those things will be no more. No more pain, no more crying, no more death, no more sorrow. All of them will be gone. I love that picture of God just wiping the tears out of our eyes. Coming to us like a father to a crying child and just wiping the tears away. And saying, it's okay now. It's okay now. One day it will be okay. One day in this new world. Another thing that we see then is that all of the character traits and the behaviors that are inconsistent with the kingdom of God, with this new world, all of those behaviors and characteristics will be gone. Have a look with me at verse 8. And this is very challenging because this is about people. And this is about behavior and this is about morals and this is about character. And this can be difficult because I guess that some of us might recognize ourselves in some of these words. John says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Do you see what John says there? He says there that the type of people who make this world so imperfect, he says those type of people will not be in the new creation. They will be sent to the lake of sulfur. And again, it's picture language. It's the, this idea of hell, this idea of being separated and cast out and not welcome and not allowed into the new creation. There's going to be a place for people that's outside of this new creation, outside of this new earth. Now, I know that we don't really like the, the thought of that. But if you think of this world Very often, the thing that makes it imperfect, the thing that makes it difficult, the thing that makes it painful are people who are living in rebellion against God. 
Maybe you're here tonight and you've had the experience of having your house burgled. Maybe you're here tonight and you've had the experience of being scammed by a scammer. Let's not beat around the bush. Those people who have lied to you, those people who have stolen from you, if they were in this new earth, then they would make it an imperfect place, wouldn't they? Maybe tonight you're here and you have been hurt at the hands of someone who has caused you physical pain and suffering. Maybe tonight you're here and what's made your life difficult is that someone has enacted in a way against you that has been sexually immoral and it's damaged you and it's scarred you. Well, God says that in the new creation, one of the reasons it will be this perfect place is because those characteristics, those things, those things that that rebel against God and cause so much pain, he says the people who cause those things will not be there. They won't be in this perfect and new creation. Now, our hearts should feel a bit torn there, shouldn't they? We should be glad on one hand that we're not going to have to deal with thefts and burglaries and all of those things. But on the other hand, our hearts should really break for those people. And tonight, if you know people like that who, who will not be in this new creation, then our God is to tell them about Jesus so that they can be forgiven and given new hearts and new lives so they can enter into this new creation when it comes. Another thing then that we see is not there, and, and this is a bit of a strange one, I'm not going to lie, for us, it's that there's no temple there. If you have a look at verse 22, it says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. I, I have this idea of kind of John kind of being allowed to roam around the city and have a good look around. You know, like a, he's kind of on a tour of the city. Probably wasn't like that, but that's how I like to think of it. And I'd love to think of kind of going up and down all the streets and, you know, and he's looking for the temple and kind of goes, there's no temple here. Scratching his head, why is there no temple? Why is there no temple? <laughs> and then he's told there, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Now for us sitting here tonight, the temple's a bit of an obscure thing, but, but to these first readers, the temple was the place in Jerusalem where the very presence of God was symbolically placed. They knew that God was everywhere in some way, but God was in the temple, they believed, in a very special way. And in one room in the temple in particular, the Holy of Holies, they believed that if they went in there, they would die because God's presence was right there. To be in the Holy of Holies would be to experience the, the fullness and the glory and the wonder and the love and the majesty of God's presence. And John says, listen, you see in this new city, the whole city is the temple. Let me look at a, a bit of a strange kind of side note in this. If you have a look at verses 16 to 18, um, you kind of get the, the square footage of this city, if you like. Have a look there. The city was laid out like a square. So again, this is all symbolic, so it's a square. It's as long as it is wide. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length. But then look at this. It says, as wide and as high as it is long. So what John's saying there, he says, look, I, me I measured the city and it was a cube. It was a square shape, 12,000 stadia that way, 12,000 stadia that way. But then he also says it was also the same height as that, 12,000 stadia high. It was a cube. Marty, why are you boring us? 
with that random detail. The reason is because in the Old Testament, the only place which is described as a cube is that place, the Holy of Holies. And that Holy of Holies in the Old Testament, we're told that it was, it was uh, lined with gold, inlaid with gold. And if you have a look at the text then, if you look at verse 18, the wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold. It's symbolic. One of the things, folks, that's going to make this city that we're going to live in so incredible is that we are going to experience God's presence in its fullness, in all its glory, in all its majesty, and it's going to be amazing. There will not be words to describe it. It will be the best thing there is about this city. We also have a look there at verse 3 of verse chapter 22, and we see there's going to be no closed gates. Uh, cities had gates. You came in through the gate, you left out through the gate, and at nighttime they shut the gates to stop people coming in. But this city, it's going to have gates wide open. No need to stop anyone coming in. There's going to be no thieves coming in. There's going to be no burglars coming in. And it's also this idea that everybody is welcome in this city. People from all tribes and tongues and nations and languages. And this city is not just for the people who dwell in it, but it's for everyone to stream into. This is going to be a multicultural city. People from different tribes and tongues and nations and languages. Different people who have put their trust in Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And they're going to stream into this city through the open gates. And then if you have a look at verse 3 as well, there's no longer going to be any curse. Do you remember back to Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the world was cursed. God brought judgment on the world. Relationships were broken between man and woman and, and humans. Relationships were broken between man and God. Relationships were broken between man and creation. Well, John says in this new creation, there's no curse anymore. Relationships are perfect with each other. Relationships are perfect with God. Relationships are perfect with creation. Tonight, God is going to get rid of so many things. And when he does, the world that we're going to live in is going to be wonderful and it's going to be perfect. But I want to assure you tonight, it's not going to be boring because God is going to be there and we're going to experience him and that's going to be wonderful. There's going to be people there, so we're going to enjoy relationships. You're not going to be kind of floating around on your own like a loner for eternity. No, you're going to be with other people, enjoying relationships with people. There's going to be stuff there. I love it. There is stuff in the new heaven. There's going to be wonderful trees. There's going to be animals. There's going to be stuff there. We're not going to be floating around on a cloud. There's going to be stuff. All the stuff we have here that is good, that's going to be there in that new creation. There's going to be things to do. We're not going to be bored. The Bible says we're going to reign. <laughs> and, and, and to me, I just don't quite get my head around that, but it's this idea. We're all going to have jobs today. We're going to work under job, under God and we're going to have jobs in this new creation. We're not going to be bored. We're going to have plenty to do and it's going to be fulfilling and it's going to be wonderful. Here in Revelation 21 and 22, we see the fulfillment of everything that's come before in this series. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God made a very good world. And in Revelation 21 and 22, I don't even think very good describes it. It's going to be even better than very good. To Adam and Eve, when they 
broke the, the covenant relationship with God, when they sinned against him, this curse came, and that curse is going to go away. And that one who God said that, that the seed of Eve would crush, he will be crushed. He will also be thrown into the lake of sulfur. He will be gone. All evil will be gone. To Abraham, he said that through Jesus, people from all nations could be blessed. And here in this new creation, we're going to be blessed beyond measure, beyond we can even understand. To David, he said, there's going to be a king who's going to rule forever. And did you notice in Revelation 21, what replaces the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? It's a throne. And on the throne is the lamb. Jesus is going to rule forever. And sin will never be able to come into the world again because he is going to rule and reign and we will follow him. The prophets, they said that there would be a wonderful future beyond judgment. And here it is. Here is this wonderful future that God has for his people. You know, tonight we all sit here as flawed people. We sit here as people who have rebelled against God and gone our own way and not his. We sit here tonight as people who deserve judgment. We sit here actually tonight as people who deserve the lake of fire, that eternal separation from God. But tonight, my friend, if, if we put our trust in Jesus, if we've relied upon him as the forgiver of our sin and if we're trying to live with him as the ruler of our life, then our name has been added to this wonderful book that we read about in Revelation 21. It's called the Book of Life, the Lamb's Book of Life. Tonight when you trust him, your name goes in that book. And everyone whose name is in that book gets to live in this new creation. I know that sounds like a dream. I know it sounds too good to be true, but it is true. These words, says the angel, are trustworthy and they are true. Tonight, if you're struggling, tonight, if you're walking and the reality of life is painful and difficult, then I want to encourage you to, to look ahead and know that it will not always be like that. And tonight, if you're struggling and you don't know God, if he's a stranger to you, if you don't know him tonight, can I encourage you to come to him tonight, to put your faith in Jesus and to know him as your heavenly father? Because even though that doesn't mean that all your problems will disappear, what it does mean is that in the middle of your problems, you will have one who walks alongside you and comforts you and helps you on the journey that is difficult that is this life. But friends, Jesus will return. And this, this is the future he has for us. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that for many of us we have known your comfort in this life. There have been times when our eyes have been full of tears and we've experienced you as our Father wiping them away and just telling us that it will be all right. But Lord, we look forward to that day, that final day when Christ returns and where we are brought home into this new city when all of our tears will be wiped away and we will never cry again because the world that we will live in will this be this 
perfect, wonderful place. Lord, I know that tonight as I preached, I've not been able to do this justice in any way. But I pray tonight, Lord, that by your Spirit that you would come and that you would um, just impress upon us how wonderful this new world, this new city is going to be. May it give us hope in this life. And may we know that because of Christ, our names are written in his book of life. And because of him alone, we will live in this new place. Minister to us tonight as we leave this place in a few moments. In Jesus' name, amen.